This presentation is brought to you by the Australia India Institute, based at the University of Melbourne. Of the IMF, the World Bank, and some of the other global economic pundits 
is that our economy should grow at about 7.3 or 7.4 percent this this year, uh, ending next month. Um, the global consensus seems to suggest that we'll grow at about 7.6 or 7.7 percent next year, and thereafter, if we get a few things right. And that if is an important caveat because we have a proven track record of messing up on opportunities. Uh, <laughs> um, we've done it before, we've been in that place before. Um, but if we get it right, then there is no reason that we shouldn't be on a sustainable growth path of 8% plus, possibly for the next decade or two. Um, to the extent that the growth now being witnessed comes on a $2 trillion economic base, means that a 7.5% growth next year is an additional $150 billion of growth that is being put into the international economy. So suddenly the numbers start looking very different. Not just in terms of what's happening in India, they look even more attractive when you look at it in the global uh, context. Uh, if we go back to 2001, when uh, the Goldman Sachs economist Jim O'Neill started the term BRICS uh, and see where they are, uh, well, uh, Brazil is firmly in the throes of a recession. Russia was down minus 4.7% in the last quarter. Um, China is slowing down. South Africa is uh, doing rather poorly uh, because of the fallen commodity prices. So off the BRICS, um, the eye seems to be the one that uh, seems uh, much more uh, well-placed uh, as compared to some of the other countries. And so again, it's that economic story that is driving some of the global uh, interest in India. And coming to this part of the world, the third element I think is geopolitics. If you were to have read, and I'm sure you have, the papers of the last two days and the foreign minister's visit to Tokyo and to uh, uh, Beijing. Uh, one of the stories that has dominated the uh, discourse is uh, events in the South China Sea and uh, concern over the developments that are being witnessed in that part of the world. What it is doing is uh, putting a much greater um, spotlight on India, which is seen as a country that is large and transparent and democratic and fairly predictable in its behavior, and with an increasingly capable naval force. So a country that can today be a net contributor to regional security beyond its own immediate border in a way that it could not previously. And so because of that, you see the first ever bilateral India-Australia naval exercises taking place in the Bay of Bengal. Uh, this, this happened in uh, September. You have a very strong Australian participation in the International Fleet Review in, uh, last month, or earlier this month, actually. Um, the Australian Army Chief General Campbell was in Delhi two weeks back. Our Navy chief was here. Next week in Tokyo, we are having a trilateral foreign secretary level meeting between India, Japan, and Australia. And it is a far greater desire for the democracies of the region to work together in a way that 
seemed fairly far-fetched even a couple of years back. And the fourth is the Great Indian Diaspora. Um, having served previously in uh, three countries with very significant Indian communities, um, in the United States, UK, and South Africa, I can say without any doubt that um, the Indian community as it matures, uh, as matures in the sense of coming to a new country, settling down, um, settling then in their lives, and particularly then the second generation of the community coming on, it becomes a pretty important force in the political firmament. If you saw the last elections in UK, there are 10 members of Indian origin in the parliament. Um, the same trends, if you look at UK, where the US, where the community came a bit later than the UK, uh, there are two governors of Indian origin, and you find the persons of Indian origin um, occupying some very, very significant positions across the spectrum of um, government. And I can assure you that you start witnessing very similar trends in Australia. In fact, we're beginning to see some of those uh, now before our eyes. I come from Canberra, and uh, in the next elections, at least in one of the constituencies, both the Liberal and Labour candidates will be of Indian origin. Um, so, uh, you know, you, you're beginning to see that element because coming from a democratic background, Indians, I guess, find it much more natural once they've sorted out the immediate issues of finding a job and making a home and all of that, getting their kids educated uh, to delve into uh, the political fray. So those, to my mind, are the key drivers of this new momentum that I wanted to speak about. And I thought that uh, rather than go into a lot of boring uh, uh, data, let me perhaps uh, try and give you a, a, a bird's eye view or a view through my iPhone uh, of what the <laughs> of, of what the what the activities of a diplomat are. What is it that in this new momentum that we're talking about? What is it that I do? What is it that my team does? And of course, some of this is excruciatingly boring. <laughs> excruciatingly boring. Uh, I use Twitter quite a lot, but I'm so conservative. Uh, and that's partly the nature of the job, that my daughter has stopped following me. Uh, and then and, 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 and when she said she stopped following me because I was so boring, uh, I said, wait till I retire, and then I'll tell you who I really am. <laughs> and, and you'll figure out. So um, without further ado, I wanted to show you, just starting with a, a few slides, that at one level, the, the, the relationship the work that we do is very much government-related, government-focused. So uh, what, what we um, uh, try and do on a regular basis is meet with the top leaders at the federal and at the state government levels, engage very closely with them. Um, those 11 cabinet ministers who visited India last year, for example, uh, you can bet that we had a very strong engagement with all of those visits. This year, already we've had two ministers come in, um, uh, including a very successful visit last week of our energy minister, 
for our energy security dialogue. So these engagements at a government-to-government -government level, the pictures are really boring because all you see is two guys standing and shaking hands. <laughs> and, and, and as I said, there's no reason for anybody at all to be interested in this. The picture's nice behind the... the right, right. Sometimes you get a good backdrop to the, uh, to the uh, people actually standing there. Um, but what they do tell you is the kind of different things that, uh, that, that we do. The language of the tweets is invariably boring. Uh, <laughs> the poses are what you would call static. <laughs> but there's a, hopefully still a story to be told somewhere about the work that, uh, that, that we uh, do. Um, at the state level, I wanted to say that the, this is interesting being in Tasmania today that in the last year, the premier of New South Wales visited India with a large team, the deputy premier of Queensland, the uh, premier uh, Colin Barnett from Western Australia, premier Jay Weatherill from uh, Adelaide, um, and premier Andrews, I think, is planning to go in April. Um, so you're increasingly seeing states recognize that economic story that I spoke about, uh, and, and see that where can they fit into the opportunity that uh, India offers. And you're beginning to see some really aggressive trade promotion efforts by a number of state governments. Uh, not perhaps so much yet by Tasmania where people are still trying to figure out what the niche might be. But certainly I can tell you that New South Wales and Victoria um, and of the last seven, eight months, uh, South Australia have been very, very aggressive in their uh, trade promotion efforts. And now Queensland is really, uh, really getting active into it. In fact, several of these uh, states uh, have one or more trade promotion office in India. Um, Queensland has one in uh, uh, Mumbai. Victoria has two, actually, one in Bangalore and one in Mumbai. So uh, that's, again, the, an indication of the uh, effort that they uh, make. Um, yeah, that might remind you of something, Craig, the Australian Leadership Dialogue. Uh, again, an example of the things that are happening at, at, at that level of trying to bring countries uh, together. Um, this was the group uh, from the Labour Party who were in, uh, um, in Delhi for the Australian Leadership Dialogue. And uh, of course, they were liberals as well, but they're not in this particular protocol. <laughs> um, some of the work, that's my wife back there. Uh, uh, this is like a, 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 the setting for a typical dinner that we do when we have uh, a lot of uh, uh, Australian friends coming over. Um, that's our, our, our dining room at home. Um, and, and so I, I just want to give you a flavor that that's some of the things that uh, when we talk about relations at a political level between countries, there is that engagement at a federal government level, there's an engagement at the state government levels, and one of the jobs of a high commissioner of a, a diplomatic mission is to nurture those relationships uh, uh, because even though we speak about large countries and large governments, at the end of the day, personal relationships uh, matter. I did mention that defense is really the new area, and I, 
did a little slide on this only because remember we were on opposite sides of the Cold War. There was a huge level of distrust between India and Australia on matters related to defense and security. Um, Australia saw itself firmly in the US camp in the Cold War. We were determinedly non-aligned. In fact, we were founders of the non-aligned movement. Uh, and, and, and so uh, uh, the Australians, the Americans, uh, others, uh, legitimately from their perspective, uh, saw us through a Cold War prism. Uh, and uh, even though there was this whole thing that we should collaborate together in other areas, but there wasn't very much happening in terms of defense and security. The fact that we've done these, uh, this was our Navy chief when he was here in, uh, in, in October. Uh, this is uh, uh, at the time of the Ozindex, the Australia-India Maritime uh, Exercise. Um, the fact that we are doing all of this today, as I said, is partly a function of geopolitics, partly a function of the evolution of the two countries in terms of their policies and where we are in a, in a changing uh, international environment. Um, Admiral Barrett has just been to India, um, and uh, we had a major naval visit to Fremantle near Perth uh, a few months back. Uh, South Australia being home of some of the defense industry is particularly focused on Indian defense industry to see where they can either sell uh, technologies or sell products uh, and create a market. So of all the states in uh, Australia, South Australia is, I think, uniquely focused on the defense market for its, uh, for its products. Again, just uh, uh, you know, there were a lot of events about World War One, and uh, uh, we participated very actively. In fact, uh, we uh, a lot of Indian soldiers died at Gallipoli and uh, in, in the First World War, and so that shared sense of sacrifice and loss was an occasion for uh, the armed forces and people to get together. Um, coming to the field of economic relations. This is increasingly uh, a lot of our work is economic diplomacy, which is trying to promote trade and investment. Um, and again, I thought that rather than give you a lot of raw data, uh, let's uh, again use uh, uh, some of these uh, particularly unstriking images. <laughs> um, to to, to tell the story that uh, uh, we are discussing the free trade agreement or what we call the comprehensive economic cooperation agreement between India and Australia. We've just finished the ninth round of negotiations. Uh, this is a very complex uh, agreement. It took 10 years for the one with China to be negotiated. Uh, we've made a fair amount of progress, uh, particularly in the last six or seven months. And I must say that Minister Rob was uh, a tireless advocate of, uh, of this uh, agreement with India. Your own wonderful senator, uh, Lisa Singh, who I met when I first came here uh, a couple of months back. Um, Northern Australia making a big pitch at China and at India uh, for uh, investments in agriculture and in uh, mining. Uh, this is a forum that I had gone to attend in Darwin. 
Um, this is a, a Canadian company making railway coaches in Gujarat for the Brisbane Metro. So if you wanted to uh, get a sense of a globalized world, then this is a picture that I took when I visited their offices in Brisbane. Three blocks with three different <laughs> time zones. And because Bombardier is, uh, uh, the, the coach's far part comes from uh, Germany, uh, even though the other part is based in Canada. Sorry, I'm going back. Um, the other thing that we do on the economic side is, of course, speak about the Indian science and technology story and the Indian economic story. Uh, and uh, certainly, uh, I use this slide only because the Indian space uh, program is such a telling example that in the last decade, we've launched 56 foreign satellites. Um, in the uh, last three years, we've had 29 consecutive successful launches for our polar satellite launch vehicle, which is now seen as one of the most robust uh, uh, vehicles to launch uh, satellites into space um, and it's an area where we'd love to collaborate with Australia. Um, our mission to the Mars last year, which caught the attention of quite a few people in the scientific community, uh, particularly because it, as our Prime Minister pointed out, it costed, it cost us a little bit less than the Hollywood film Gravity. <laughs> uh, so it was quite a good example of, uh, of a frugal uh, space program. Uh, this is a company that I visited. Uh, they are near Wagga Wagga, uh, and uh, it's an Indian uh, entrepreneur who set up a huge uh, canola oil seeds uh, plant. Um, this is an interaction with the Indian IT companies who have their offices in in Sydney. A um, lot of them doing work for Australian banks or Australian um, uh, corporate sector. Uh, the Australia India Business Council. Uh, where we have a very close engagement with them. Particularly the area of skills and development, Minister Birmingham um, has been a major advocate. And, and more on that sort of thing. So, uh, as I said, the idea of showing some of these pictures is that there's a lot of momentum on the economic side, and particularly in education and skills, where we look at Australia as a country with a very developed, very advanced vocational education system. You may not think of this reading the newspapers occasionally, uh, but we certainly regard it as very advanced. Uh, and we see it as a huge area because Prime Minister Modi has announced that we will try and upskill 500 million Indians uh, over the next decade. Uh, and so there's a big opportunity for Australian companies. Uh, I know that Queensland uh, is particularly aggressive, as is Victoria, in entering the uh, skills market in India. What they're trying to figure out is, the Australian model is very high quality, but it's a high cost, low volume model. Uh, we're trying to see, is there an Australian entity that can change that paradigm into a high volume, low cost model for the uh, Indian market? Um, we do a lot in terms of cultural promotion. This is, uh, you know, the International Day of Yoga was celebrated on 21st January, and this is something from the uh, uh, grounds up across from the old Parliament House in uh, Canberra. Um, this was celebrated around the world. Um, this is Premier Daniel Andrews at Federation Square uh, at a Diwali uh, function. 
to celebrate the Diwali festival. You can see him wearing a very nice Rajasthani turban. Um, speaks volumes for Australia's commitment to multiculturalism, really, to have the premier of Victoria come to Fed Square. And as you can see, there were something like 12,000 people who showed up uh, for the festivities. Uh, there's a an Indian cultural precinct being established near Melbourne, uh, which was announced recently. Um, this is uh, Diwali in Canberra. This is Diwali being celebrated in uh, Sydney. And I just use these pictures because uh, of the symbolism that uh, uh, that connect between the Indian community and Indian culture with Australia, and Australia taking so, so much pride in its own multicultural identity, a message that's often lost uh, in people overseas. Um, cricket as a tool of cultural diplomacy, why not? So uh, we had the Indian cricket team home uh, uh, when they were here recently, and we invited a lot of prominent Australians to come and meet with them. We had the women's team home as well, and uh, so, uh, uh, cricket is such a connecting element between us that we use it shamelessly to promote uh, relations between our countries. Um, and this is something that's happening now. In fact, Pat Farmer, uh, your ultra long distance runner, uh, has embarked on this amazing run from the southernmost point in India all the way to north to Kashmir. It's called the Spirit of India Run. This is a meeting that we had uh, to prepare for the run before he started, but you'd be very happy to know that uh, yesterday, Pat, uh, having started off in Kanyakumari, the southernmost point, arrived in Mumbai. He's already done 1,700 kilometers uh, in about 22 days. So he's running about 80 kilometers every single day as he makes his way uh, through the length of uh, India. And we see it as a great example of cultural diplomacy, public diplomacy, bringing countries together through the endeavors. So there was a major press conference in Mumbai yesterday uh, where, you know, again, this story of an Australian traveling to India and how it connects to the people of India. Uh, in fact, the launch uh, by Foreign Minister Julie Bishop uh, was also quite an event at the parliament. Um, again, a few random pictures to show you uh, things that bind our countries, uh, a visit to SBS, um, a meeting with the Australia-India Council, um, visit to Deakin, key part of our, uh, of our work, meeting with scientific research institutions, visiting um, Gibbs Aerospace, which is now owned by an Indian company, Mahindras, and so on. And finally, I just wanted to share a couple of thoughts uh, about our connect with the Indian diaspora, which is, which is interesting that even though many of them are Australian citizens uh, now, but there's a, being a largely first generation community, there is a very strong relationship between the Indian community and our high commission and our consulates. And in fact, uh, um, I, I, I was counting this year, I got about 104 uh, different invitations for various Diwali events. Uh, to um, this is a, a, again a community organization that organizes cricket competitions. Um, there's a major event uh, on Mahatma Gandhi's uh, centenary um, uh, anniversary. And then, you know, last, just our efforts to make sure that we as a high commission um, 
deliver efficient passport and visa services to, to our uh, community and to others going to India. So that's just a little bird's eye view. Thank you very much. I, I know that these are not interesting slides, uh, so thanks for putting up with them, but I thought they may, maybe they'll give you a slightly different perspective on what the Kumar is. This presentation is brought to you by the Australia India Institute, based at the University of Melbourne.